<laughs> Somebody's opened up a can of tuna. That is my standing desk. I adjust it to, I'm sitting, uh, but I like the uh, microphone like at my mouth, so. Oh, man, you should be standing. Do you stand and record? Yes. Motion creates emotion. Mm, I like that. But yeah, Len, I didn't know if you wanted to do, like, intro the guest. Yeah, I think that, like, breaks our format, doesn't it? Like, we usually, uh, <laughs> we usually just, like. Just talk. Yeah. That's true. And it's kind of like you're listening. Well, I'll at least it. say out loud that Adam and Jared are from the changelog. Oh, yes. We were on uh, last week. That's right. Yeah, I was going to say, I feel like a, an extreme case of deja vu happening right now. <laughs> it feels like we've done this before. This one's going to be even better. Uh, I highly doubt that. Uh, <laughs> we, we were very impressed by the sound quality. So, Thank you. Yeah, Adam, how long do you uh, spend editing an episode? I would say I spend no more than one and a half times the show length. Really? Yeah, I got it down to a science and there's a... You know, once you get a framework going on, all you got to do is produce content and, and align things, you know? The show length is an hour and a half, right? Or an hour? We just recently bumped it 15 minutes. So we got uh, high demand for 15 extra minutes of the show, and so we gave it to them. So you spend at least, you know, two, two and a half hours editing, probably? I would say no more than two. If I hit two, I'm upset. <laughs> but a lot of that is also, like, stitching ads, right? No, I mean, no, I mean, we have a we have a framework. So like whenever we hit those breaks, it's just really easy to drop people, drop the different ad spots in. And, you know, it's just a it's just arranging blocks. Like if you can arrange shapes on a screen, you can edit audio (laughs) and you could do it somewhat fast. What's a framework? Is that like you have a project file you could like a logic project or something that you use a starter? Yeah, exactly. It's got the intro audio already there. And then uh it's got the markers for whenever I should drop the very first welcome back to the change, everybody. You know, my name's Adam, that kind of thing. Whenever I say that, I know exactly where to drop that in the timeline because I got markers in there and I got markers for just, you know, audio changes for like the music, in and outs. And uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty easy. Once you get a system down, it's just. And you said you use Logic to. Yeah, it's Logic X10, I guess, if you want to say that. So I used to, but it's Logic. Yeah, is that version of Logic. Is that Apple? Who makes that? It is Apple. There's Pro Tools. There's Logic. Okay. Um, there's one from the people who do Avid, which I can't recall what the name is right now, but their video editing version is Media Composer. I think it's Logic, actually, is from Avid. No, no, sorry, not Logic. Logic is uh, Apple, and uh, Pro Tools is Avid. I've never tried Logic, but Audacity I've not really been enjoying. No, I, the thing with Audacity is it's just enough. It's just enough to do what you need to do. It's, and there's and it's, it's possible to do anything in it, but nothing is intuitive. Like right. even, even something that's like scrolling, I can't like right. scroll across the uh, the waveform. It's kind of like classic open source software problem, right? It's like all there's, the hard work's there, all the underpinnings are in there, and the user experience is just subpar. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. That's been open source's plague. I mean, that's when's the year of the Linux desktop again? I can't remember which year that's going to be. <laughs> it's next year. It's always next year. It's always next year. Exactly. It's always next year. That's I remember next walking year. to a Radio Shack in the '90s, and there was um, the Java desktop, and there was like a Windows machine with all these animated icons on the desktop, oh, and there wow. were all these little Java applets. I was like, "Wow, that's so cool." <laughs> I remember when the smart, so-called smartphones, used to have like little Java games on them. Can't remember what year that was. Pre iPhone, obviously. 
and they were so slow. It's just like you could just feel that runtime in there or something. You guys ever play those? It was like downhill racing. Like come, they come stock on the phones. Like Which Sony, phones? Like Sony Ericsson's back in the like, oh, yeah. early like 2000s. Snake. Yeah, Snake. But they have color. I, I love one was Snake, like snowboarding. Man. That's my favorite. And it was just dreadful. But like they had a little skiing too. I mean, all of the ideas were in there. They had their little app store thing that just not, it didn't work. The internet was there. It didn't work. Um, email was there. It didn't work. So Adam and Jared, uh, you know, I listen to the change log every week, but I feel like I never oh, hear you. about you guys. You're always, uh, you know, doing such a great job interviewing guests. So I wonder if we could take a minute and uh, have you introduce yourselves and discuss your background, maybe. My name is Adam Stokoviak. I host a podcast called The Change Log. It started back in 2009, so it's been a labor of love for a very long time. And prior to just doing the podcasting stuff that people most know me for, I'm also a designer, UX developer, um, marketer, sales, copywriting kind of person. I'm sort of like a jack of all trades, which is why I've never really picked a single career, which is why the change log is perfect for me because not only can I talk and interview and meet people, I can also create relationships and partnerships and the stuff we're doing with films. It's just, it kind of gives somebody with me with like, uh, I guess kind of ADD towards like what I actually want to do, you know, like one particular thing to master. I just sort of try to hit a bunch of stuff. So that's me. Yeah. My name is Jared Santo. I'm uh, kind of Adam's cohort on the change log started off like yourself, Len, I believe that was Len, uh, just a listener and enjoyed Podcast Junkie. So I have a very long list of podcasts that I listen to on a regular basis, Changelog being one of them. <sighs> kind of saw it start to pod fade. Is that what, it was? Is that what you pod, guys are talking pod about? Fade. Pod fading? It's back. Yeah. Um, saw it start to die a little bit, and I was like, oh, I, this thing can't die. I enjoy it. So I just offered to help out. Um, that was like the end of 2012. Yeah. And I've just been kind of involved ever since. Um, so for Adam, it's full-time. For me, it's kind of a side project. I'm a full-time software developer on contract. I run a uh, one-person uh, software firm called Object Lateral and build web apps for startups and small businesses. What technologies do you usually use when you uh, are building web apps? Are yeah, you Rails mean, mostly? Lots of Rails. Um, that's my bread and butter. So yeah, Ruby, JavaScript, um, shipped some Go stuff. Oh, nice. And, yeah, and I'm actively investing in the Elixir ecosystem as kind of a forward-looking thing. Oh, awesome. Uh, the Go stuff that you've written, is are those like websites or services? or APIs. APIs, yeah. Yeah, only one that's gone to production. A very simple API that had to have very massive traffic, um, and so it seemed like a good fit. And it was simple enough that I didn't feel... Um, like overwhelmed hopping into it on a contract project. I just, I had worked with this customer for a long time, so had their trust and just told them like, yeah, I haven't really shipped too much Go, but it's a perfect tool for this particular job. And so they were, they gave me the go ahead and that was a, that was a fun little project. Awesome. Yeah. So we talked about it when uh, we were on your show, but this, this pod fading thing that happened, like uh, <laughs> what exactly you said, you never, you know, really gave up. Uh, but what were you just always like procrastinating? Like, oh, sure, we'll start it up next week. Or like, it was a shift. Yeah. It was a shift in our times. Um, the story of the change law begins in 2009 when we, when Wynn and I, Wynn Netherland, if y'all know Wynn from the podcast, I guess prior to that August you're mentioning. Yeah. Um, it, it, we had just gotten to the point where we were both working at Pure Charity. He had just taken a position at GitHub. Um, I think he got just busier and it just came to a point where it wasn't 
a priority for both of us. And so when stepped away, I contemplated whether or not it should just go away. And that's where the pod fade kind of began, which was like, what should we do next? And uh, much like Jared, I was always a huge fan of what we did. I always enjoyed the storytelling process of like covering, you know, not just the software of open source, but the people behind it, the stories. And over the years, we've had multiple guests back on. So we kind of get to do catch up stories. And we just sort of to, started to like really just get really embedded into this new world of open source and the collaboration, a lot of stuff happening. And I, I knew that we had invested too much personally into it to just step away. So I was like, how can we make this sustainable? And that's become the topic for us over the last couple of years is how can we do sustaining things? Obviously, you know, you know Pam's on the team, uh, get paid, get money uh, cycle there. So oh, it's actually get money, get paid, get money, oh. get paid, okay. <laughs> that's a get money, get paid. Yeah. Um, you know, and I, I wanted to get us to a sustainable place. So we thought the business model relaunched the site and that's sort of when the podcast came back online. It was February, 2013, and since then, we've just sort of been on a better track towards rebuilding the podcast, rebuilding our trust with our audience. Um, we also realized we hit a cardinal rule and we, and we broke it, which was we weren't building an email list. So we started to build an email list for Changelog Weekly, which now ships every week. You know, a lot of people subscribe to that newsletter because of, you know, subscribing, obviously. But uh, yeah, podcast, email, fun stuff. Do you think podcasting is more popular um, because of like smartphone prevalence? Like even when the iPhone was first out in the first few oh, years, totally. it wasn't really like a podcast app that was like yeah. de facto. But now every iPhone comes with a podcast app and it's like a little bit almost advertised to go search for podcasts. I think so, absolutely. And in addition to that, kind of the tandem of that plus all new cars having Bluetooth. Mm-hmm. Um, because mm-hmm. the place where most people want to listen to audio is either when they're working out or when they're driving. And it was just way too hard to listen to podcasts when you were driving for your average person. It's still too hard. <laughs> I think it's going to continue to grow in in um, interest as it becomes easier and easier. Maybe CarPlay will help with, out with that. I don't know. But I think that was a huge aspect of it because now people could you know reliably get podcasts onto their phone and they play that through their car speakers. And it's just it's way better than radio in that sense because you know you can find exactly what topics you're interested in and um, and there's just a lot more out there that doesn't need to carry the, the the size audience that a radio show does. So people with niche interests, which everybody has, can really dive into those niches and and finally listen in their cars. I don't know something about what you just said that got me excited. Anybody else excited? <laughs> I was just thinking about like uh, 2006. I was uh, I was very early on the podcasting train, but every day before work, I would uh, you know I'd normally be late because I normally run about five minutes late to everything, but. I'd be running late and I would like have to run to my computer, open up iTunes, download all the new podcasts and then like sync it to my iPod just so I could listen yeah. to podcasts on my way to work. And that's why you were late. That's why I was <laughs> five minutes later. Yeah. yeah. We've solved your problem. Yeah. That's interesting. Cause like the wires and stuff, it always, and like early iTunes too, like, oh. you know, f- for whenever the iPhone started to make it more prevalent to have like a really smart phone in your pocket. And then obviously Android came after that. But the wires thing was always a big issue. And even iTunes still to this day is, is like, you know, on my lowest list of software I like to play with because it's, it's horrible. I love Apple Music. I do too. I don't, well, I never got on the uh, RDO or uh, what's the other one? Spotify? Spotify. Spotify. Yeah, I didn't get on those trains. I tried Spotify a few times and never really liked it. I like Spotify. I was, yeah. I was on RDO and when Apple Music launched, I switched over and. I don't know. There's it things I like some... about it, and there's things that I'm just like, they just madden me. 
And I'm like, I'm going back to RDO, but I'm lazy, so I'm probably not going to. Yeah, I, I think my favorite part of it is the For You section. They make um, these They do plays. a really good job, yeah. yeah. So there's a bunch of like intro to uh, different artists. I found out a lot of artists that I like that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I found out those playlists you can also um, add to my music. And I actually found out where they go now, so that's, that's a big help when I want to save a playlist that they send me. Um, and they also have these like playlists that are based on moods. Hmm. Um, like here's one, sweet and stylish dinner music. So I don't know what that is, but I could try it tonight when I'm eating dinner. Right. They even have like activities like a, like a cookout playlist or a road trip playlist, which is kind of cool because whatever you're doing, you can just find that accompanying playlist. And they're actually pretty good. Yeah. And there's some cool ones that are like, uh, what was the one that I was... Oh, here's one, uh, Heartbeats Indie Electropop. I like that one. And then here's another one, Inspired by Arthur Russell. I don't know who Arthur Russell is, but this is a great playlist. Hmm. I should like that in the show notes. So how do you feel about Beats 1? Uh, I tried it the first day, and I haven't listened to it since. I don't yeah. like... What's Beats 1? Playlist? No, it's, it's a it's a global a radio, station. radio station that is live, oh. which is wow. seems kind of like the opposite of what you want looking forward to technology. <laughs> Man. Yeah, I don't get that. We talked about live on that Deja Vu show we just had with you guys, and we were talking about live in podcasting. And I think it's the same thing for like almost any content. Everything is becoming not live, you know, like Except Netflix and like yeah. releasing a full season or a season at a time and binging and that kind of stuff. Like it's all it's all DVR and anti live. So I don't see any point you, in like. It sounds like you it. you you have feelings about that. Well, yeah, of course. Like, do you do you want? Because it, it's an interesting. Because like, there was so much work that went into like the ability to actually do things live, and now we're like live, whatever. We get that all the time. I think there's what? something really neat about watching something live, like an event. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, for other things like day to day music or radio, I'd much rather just self select what I want to listen to or, or have it curated for me, but listen to it at my leisure. Right. It, that's the exact point. I don't think that I, I think in theory live is fun, but it wears off quickly and it fades. And then it's it's sort of like unproduced. It's sort of too raw and people don't have time for too raw. They want a bit more of a polish, in my opinion. And it's just like people don't have much time. So mm. unless well, yeah. it's like something you're committing to, like a conference online or something like that, it's different. Yeah. That could be live, I think. But so it doesn't apply to everything. It's not a general uh, yeah. opinion. I think in I podcasting, that's true. I don't think it. I don't think those are mutually exclusive. Like the Super Bowl's live, but it's highly polished. Right. And I think that, you know, yeah. that's a shared experience, which is more fun if you're on Twitter and on, you know, on your phone as you're watching it, commentating, reading commentary. And so that's a live event that I think would be more boring if it was just you watching it on your own time. But with podcasting, I'm kind of with you. You have to have, I think, a critical mass of people. Otherwise, it's like, you know, we got four people in the chat. There's a slight exception, though, in my opinion, because. With the with the live thing, it can work, and it depends on your theory of success. So, like, if your success uh, for doing a live show is to have a consistent group of like sixty to one hundred people listening live and sharing that experience, and that that grows, then I think if you're always happy with it being under two hundred, which is kind of norm, um, or if that's what you're okay with, then that's success. Like this one show I did called the Industry Radio Show, it was live, and we had a, a chat room. Everybody joined when it was live, and People shouted out links, and it was like very inclusive to the the audience real time. Uh, and it, when you listen to it, it sounded like you were listening to a pre recorded live show, obviously because it, it was live. But people they got involved, and it was fun. But it was a small group, and they, but they were consistent. They were there every week, yeah. which is kind of interesting. They had also 
like team members from inside their design team or something like that joining them. You know, they were all listening live while they were working. Yeah, Pam, you were on uh, Shop Talk, right? And that was live? Yeah, they're live. And I remember I asked you this, but I don't remember the answer. Was the live aspect of that, did it add pressure? Did it make it a worse experience, a better experience as a guest? I think it makes it better. Why is that? Um, because I, I really, like the chat room, it can be distracting because there's, a, that was my answer, I remember. It's like, it can be distracting because there's lots of things yeah. going on. But it's it's more fun because it's actually, you kind of, it's a bit energizing, I think, to to feel like there's actually, you know, it's one thing to, to record and like we see like the stats that we have like vague confidence in. And it's another thing to actually see like real humans sitting there and chatting about the show that they're listening to. Yeah. So it makes it it makes it really really fun. They've also done that show live consistently too. Like they they don't they're not like live here and there. So they've they've right. built it into the fact that when they do a show, and unless they're traveling, it's very regular. Right. So like have to it's be like every on week, and yeah, and so people, you know, and so it's like especially so this, you know, for a good number of people, it's during their lunch hour. It's easy to you know, say, you know, I'm going to, so this, this day during the week, I log on and listen to the change log during my lunch hour or, you know, in the hour before or after lunch. Uh-huh. Yeah. And I would say our schedule has had to move around a little bit. We still release roughly the same time, but our record timing has changed a little bit because of guests or whatever. So that's always impacting the live schedule. And so I, I felt like it was just too hard for us to ever stay consistently live. So it just didn't make sense for us. Yeah. In theory, it sounded really great because, we wanted to have an art. We said we actually do have uh, the changelog on on Freenode. I think it's just changelog or the changelog, one of the two. We do. Yeah, um, we do. But That's nobody's. Hacker. We're never there because it's been oh. replaced by a slide for us. Right. Just to loop that back into Beats One and the live aspect. Um, I actually like the idea of it. I think like a global shared experience with all of the kind of old things about radio that we liked, but brought to a new medium and kind of modernized is a cool idea. I think the result of it, and with great DJs and great music and all that, um, effectively, it doesn't feel like that to me. Like, I listen to it. I don't feel like I'm sharing an experience with anybody. I just feel like I'm listening to the radio. And I also don't like the music very much, but I've listened just because I'm getting to that age where I feel like I have to know what the kids are doing. Is anybody else in this age where I'm like, what are the kids listening to these days? And maybe that's like super insecurity or something, but I just want to like hear what people think is good music right now and then I can you know either look down on them or envy them whatever happens to be the case but that's gotten me to back to beats one a few times where I'm like oh what's the hit songs of the day right which I had lost for years because I don't I haven't listened to the radio for years Uh so anybody at the age where you wonder what the kids are up to or am I just older than everybody else here (laughs) I just just don't wonder don't don't care a long time ago yeah, I, I'm the same way, Jared. I'm like, hey, what are these? What are these young bucks doing? What's what's yeah. cool with them? Right. I definitely feel just outside the cusp of being young again. I mean, I'm definitely out of the, the range. I know that. <laughs> it's not like pod fading. I can admit this. You know, life fading. I don't know, if, <laughs> but is pop music necessarily like younger music, or is it just more in general like I don't know. popular music? I mean, it's mm-hmm. definitely popular. It's definitely mainstream, but I, I tend to think a lot of it is like teenager music, even though that's a huge generalization. And of course, teenagers that love electro indie pop too, you know. But for me personally, I can't remember a time where I was really into an artist that appeared like at the uh, the music awards, like the main main winners or something, or uh-huh. or played at the Super Bowl. 
Yeah, I just want to know enough to be able to get those like Saturday Night Live skits about them. Exactly. That's <laughs> the sentiment I'm trying to hit. Maybe I didn't Pop describe culture. it. It's like I don't care about the music. I just don't want to I just don't want to be irrelevant or something. <laughs> right. You're watching that skit and it just all goes over your head. You've yeah, you're like, they're talking about. Who's Taylor Swift? Right. Wait, so Saturday Night Live is still on? Yeah. It's good point. Uh, <laughs> they've considered stopping, but they're not gonna do it. They didn't pod fade. No. They're uh they're going up. The one thing I didn't like about Apple Music, uh, recently I, I gave my dad uh, an iPod Touch and I was trying to set him up with music. And uh, the experience for being offline and being a senior citizen is extremely poor. Uh, I basically just gave up and I think he uses it now with like voice control. So I'm just like, I don't, I don't know how to uh, tell you to manage these playlists. Just like uh, tell it to play artists like Slim Whitman or whatever he has on there, like and that's basically how he's using it right now. There's a lot of options. Like it makes it basically makes you play like a current playlist now. And if you try to add a new song, it's like add to up next. Huh. Yeah, I think my biggest complaint with the service is and this might be a setting that I just haven't found is like when you get to the end of a playlist, it just stops. It just stops playing music and they should just like start the next one or or uh, you guys be like more like Pandora where it just finds related music and yeah i mean it's, uh, yeah exactly and not that as like the default experience but that as the fallback when you've run out of stuff like if your up next is empty i don't want to have to go manage more up next i just want to let it keep playing i can keep working or jogging or whatever i'm doing and then of course i can go in and set something that i want to play but i just don't understand why it would ever just stop playing music at this point yeah that's a good point how about programming? You guys like programming? I was just gonna say, can we steer this conversation away from podcasting as far as possible? <laughs> and, and, uh, I was just gonna mention products. films. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna mention films. Anybody like films? Oh, what about this uh, new mini series out there called Beyond Code? You guys seen that? Hey, you mentioned. Do you want to? Do you want to tell market. us about that? Uh, Beyond yeah. Code. Yeah. What about this Mr. Robot show? Does anybody watch that? <laughs> yes, it's awesome. Yes, I like it. Science fiction. I don't think we can talk about that because we would. I don't want to have to put a spoiler warning on the episode. That's true, and I haven't seen it, so I don't want to be spoiled. I don't even know what it is. It was my pick like three weeks ago. Do you listen to our podcast, Justin? Oh, I heard your pick. I just don't. Yeah. I didn't actually look it up. It's so good. <laughs> so what I like about it, though, not this, not spoiler, is the cinematography, the music, the cinematography, the perspectives. And the way they've written it and scripted it, it's really awesome. That's what I like most about it. It's like a modern fight club, but about hacking. Uh, yeah, the, the I would hacks agree that with they that. do, the hacks that they do are like real hacks, even though like they simplify it and like speed them up, like things that probably take weeks. They do in like an hour, but they're like legitimate things. Right. It's the response is she always scripted it, or he always scripted it in like yeah. fifteen minutes. But it's technically right. sound. Like there's actual technical details that aren't offensive to us programmery types. Most they use Vim or Emacs. I think they use Vim. <laughs> and one. they don't have like the, the like spinning terminals or anything. Like the terminals are just like flying text and they're just like. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's not like uh, the Matrix or something. It's it's a legit prompt. Mm. But I like I that think, show. I think the Matrix had a legit prompt, didn't it? Like the opening scene of the Matrix. I think that was a legit Unix prompt. Huh. But that was years ago. I have no idea if that's true or not. Could be a lie. I remember that show with uh, who plays Wolverine? Who's the guy that plays Wolverine? Hugh Jackman. Yeah, Hugh Jackman had a hacking swordfish. Yeah, oh, yeah. swordfish. Yeah, that's a good just, one. It's a good Coach movie, Volta. but the technical details there were terrible. My favorite was, Linux prompt was from Jurassic Park. <laughs> oh yeah, where she's like, "I know Unix." I think that actually was a legitimate like Unix program back in the day. 
which is super surprising because it is one of those 3D, like I'm flying through rooms type of a thing that she does. Yeah. But I read somewhere that that actually was like a terminal-based Unix program that she really? was operating. Yeah. Definitely the most efficient way to navigate a file system is to fly around it in real space. Well, it's, it's just more, like Hacker. That's how they did it there, too. Was it Hacker? I don't know. It's, it's the one, the, the the other famous one with Angelina Jolie in it. That's Hackers. 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 Sorry, pluralize it. Sorry about that. Same way, when they were battling it out, they were trying to like navigate in in like a real, like they could see the doors and stuff. It was weird. <laughs> Makes you laugh. That is an example of not good cinematography. Not good. So what is this uh, Beyond Code? Well, Beyond Code started as a, as just like a, a desire to get into shooting video. So we've always been known as a podcast and um, like I said, in 2013, we also got smart enough to start uh, collecting emails and creating an email list. And then uh, in 2014, the end of that, we were like, hey, we should get into uh, video. And not just like, let's point the cameras at our face and call it a video podcast, but more like go out into the community and meet the real people behind the community. And we were like, well, let's let's do like a some sort of interview series. We could do it at conferences. That way we can work with conferences, promote them, and also, you know, camp out in certain communities. So we've gone to Keep Your Be Weird. We've gone to Space City JS. We've gone to GopherCon. We've gone to Nebraska JS, uh, the conference up there, uh, NEJS Conf. Um, and it's just been it's been a lot of fun to, to do that kind of stuff, to go there. And so Beyond Code is a brief interview series. We shoot only at the conferences after parties. And so we like the after parties because it's a time when people are the most loose, the most free-flowing. And the point of Beyond Code is to really not just hear like good technical answers to some of the questions we ask, which are not technical really at all. Um, but sometimes the person takes them there, but it's really to kind of get us a look at like the people, the real people, not just like the superstars, but the real people behind communities. And so we often have people who've never, you know, that don't have a, an audience, so to speak, or a large Twitter following or GitHub following. It's just, you know, real people in the community sharing some really awesome answers to these five questions. And uh, we put them up on the internet for people to look, to, to look at. It's pretty fun. What's one of the most interesting uh, things that was discussed in one of those videos? Well, the most interesting thing that happened during a video is this gal at Space City JS. Oh, yes. Started serenading us. <laughs> uh, what song did she sing, Adam? I don't recall. I haven't seen it. Say My Name, Say My Name. It's, say My Name. She was she a had an, fan. <laughs> she was. And she had an excellent voice. And so Adam talked her into singing that for us on camera, yeah. which was spectacular. And that's actually in the next season coming out, so Space City Jazz oh, is wow. season two. Season, you serious business. Well, you know, we also thought of it like, we talked a bit earlier about the, the idea of live and DVR and this whole real-time stuff. We figured that if we release the entire season, which is several people getting interviewed at one particular conference, if we release them all together, then, you know, it's like Netflix. You can go binge-watch. Yeah, I was just going to say. <laughs> yeah. So you can go watch the entire series from Keeper Be Weird uh, here in a couple of weeks when we launch Space CDGS. Um, yeah, you can watch them all, all at once. The trailer, no. That's really yeah. cool. Do you have any conferences coming up that you're going to? We got a couple conferences in the talk. Actually, we might be working with November, uh, Nashville in November, because uh, November, November. Mm -hmm. um, we might also work with Node Interactive. They have a conference in Portland later this year in December. Uh, we might be going to KubeCon with uh, our friends behind GopherCon in November as well. That's in Denver. Uh, so those are all, uh, yeah, KubeCon, Kubernetes. That's all up in the air right now. Those aren't all established. But those are the ones that we're um, potentially working with. Oh, nice. Yeah. So you might see Beyond Code at one of those conferences soon. 
when is season two come out? Uh, that's a, let's see here. The eternal question. I think it is the 25th of September. Now we're going to be just, liars Did you again. pick that? or <laughs> just came up with that right now. Um, I don't see why we shouldn't choose that date. I don't date. see, I don't see why not. <laughs> we're pretty loose with it, honestly. They're all edited, and uh, all we need to do is just push the button. So, I mean, we're, like, so close to, to doing that. We just needed some time. Our, our uh, editor was out of town a bit, had some other projects going on, so we had to kind of put a pause on some of the editing. But uh, we're wrapping those up, so they should be. I mean, I think they're all done. I've already reviewed them all, so there's only a couple tweaks. But See, what Pam really done. wants to know is when does season four come out? Because oh, that's, that's when our true. your very own Pam Selly was on Beyond Code. Wait, yeah, it's on se- I'm in season four? Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's where the series <laughs> usually get really good, you know? But yeah, so season three, season two is Space City. Season three is GopherCon. Um, and then season four is NEJSConf. So season right. maps one to one with the conference. Yeah, exactly. So one of the cool things that we found, and I guess we didn't really plan this, um, but we found that's happened is when you have these different seasons, and and I, at this point we're the only ones who can tell because we're the ones who can see all the videos and have performed all the interviews. But it's really neat because it's almost like a, a zeitgeist in this in in a community and a time. So some of our questions are kind of timeless. Who's your programming hero? Which is Pam's favorite question. Just kidding, but timeless, and then some are like very timely. Like, what's what's uh, very interesting in open source right now, and so that like you know sticks to a point in time. And so we found that as you go to the different conferences, you know the Ruby people. Not to put everybody in boxes here, but you have your Ruby people and your JavaScript people and your Go people, and they have different interests at different times. And so you group them together like that, you start to see themes that come out um, at the specific conferences. And so what we're hoping to find is as we go season by season by season is that we actually, if somebody has the interest in watching the whole thing, um, they'll start to kind of feel out a community at a specific time and kind of track changes and stuff. So that's kind of yeah. why we're having each conference be a An example of that would be like, you know, what's the most influential open source software that, you know, what's impacted you most? Right. And at Keep It Weird, you could probably guess that everybody said Rails, right? Everybody says Rails or Ruby. Those kind of answers are common. Yeah. You have your outliers, and then but when you go to GopherCon, pretty much no one's going to say hey, Ruby on Rails has impacted my life the most. So, what technologies are are you both interested in right now? Somebody mentioned Elixir earlier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's me. I'm interested in Elixir and Phoenix specifically. I you know, I write web apps for a living, and I I'm really attracted by the allure of speed plus speed both in productivity. Uh, and scalability. Um, it's, as a as a person who makes his living with Ruby on Rails, it's really fun to have like three millisecond response times, uh, <laughs> even in dev mode, where I'm like, "Oh, this is spectacular." Uh, when I'm used to, you know, between 100 and 500 millisecond response times. Have you done a, a lot of like pure? I say pure in quotation marks, like pure yeah. Elixir versus uh, Phoenix. Like, have you worked with OTP at all in your? I haven't. Experiment? No, no. So what I've done so far is. I've done a little Phoenix app, which we use internally at the changelog. Basically, it just takes a webhook from Memberful, um, which is our membership system, and it auto-invites that webhook person, like the email out of that, to our Slack channel. It's like, that's all it does. So, like, single endpoint, single responsibility, super small thing. But I wanted to get something and see what the deployment process was like and all that. Um, So I've done that, and then I'm I'm, I'm writing another web app that uh, isn't quite ready yet, and I've started to read... Uh, Dave Thomas's book, uh, which I can't remember the name of. Um, I think it's Programming Elixir. Programming Elixir. Yeah, that's right. 
How can I forget that? <laughs> uh, because the subtitles like uses the pipeline operator, so I don't know yeah. how to pronounce that. It's like fun, functional, functional, concurrent, pragmatic, fun. Yeah, there you go. You're piping all those things into fun, apparently. Right. And what I haven't started to do, but what I've, is on my short list of things to do, is to get on uh, Exorcism, which is Katrina Owens' kind of uh, group practicing app. Have you guys are you guys familiar with Exorcism? Yeah, yeah, we had her on the show as well. Oh, awesome. Yeah, so Exorcism has an Elixir uh, section, and I've gone through it, Exorcism, pretty far into the Ruby just to just to have fun and, and do some practice, and I did some criticizing, or what you call it, I did some nitpicking for them on the Ruby side, um, but I like to go through that on the Elixir side, which will be more you know straight Elixir, not inside of a web context, but I haven't yet. How about you? Uh, I've been playing with uh, Phoenix for a little bit. Uh, nothing major. I spent a lot of time trying to restructure my app and the way I had it in my brain instead of how Phoenix created it. Okay. Um, so in Elixir and in Erlang, you have processes and actors and supervision trees. Right. And I, uh, when you create a Phoenix app, it creates a repo application. Uh, or I guess, yeah, a repo application and an endpoint application. Uh underneath your your phoenix app and i wanted to make uh more than one application that talked to repo and i didn't think that it was a nice design to have the repo stored inside of phoenix inside my website i wanted other like little apps that i'm running in the same vm to be able to talk to the repo and not have to pass the repo around uh so i i spent a little time like extracting that so now i have uh in elixir you can have umbrella apps so I have an umbrella app, and inside the umbrella app, I have a web app, and then a repo app, and then a models directory, so that I can like use the same models and all the different apps that I'm creating. Uh, so I'm just I just did that to experiment with Elixir and kind of figure out what what I liked uh, and what I didn't. Um, and now recently, we had a we had Raquel Velez on our podcast uh, about a month ago now, and she had some experience with. Uh, AI and robotics, and she was explaining a lot of that stuff, and that kind of piqued my interest. Uh, and so now I've been, I think I mentioned it to you both also on the changelog about the robotic lawnmower. Uh, yeah. So now I've been, for the past few weeks, like researching uh, the software architecture of AI robots. <laughs> okay. uh, and found some like really interesting things there, uh, and I'm trying to, I think I'm going to make it an elixir on a Raspberry Pi. Well, that'd be rad. Um, yeah, it seems like the uh, the actors and the way that the processes communicate would be a really good fit for that. Uh, I'm going to be sacrificing, you know, I guess power usage and the ability to go more like embedded like Arduino in the future. But I think yeah. that's okay because robot that large is going to have large batteries and the Raspberry Pi doesn't take up that much energy. So I think it'll be a good fit. That's awesome. You should you should keep everybody updated like weekly on the show where you're at with that as you make progress i definitely will. i'm sure i won't get anything done next two months as we move and then mm. holidays and then i'll probably scramble like <laughs> the last month of spring so we can <laughs> expect to some more commits next march <laughs> exactly <laughs> okay uh but yeah the uh, i'll put the link in the show notes the architecture that i found is called subsumption architecture where uh my understanding is in AI, like a lot of people tend to do a lot of imperative programming and have a model of the world and then do like uh, conditional statements on that model to say mm. what the robot should do. And uh, subsumption architecture and also uh, behavior-based robotics takes a different approach, which is 
you wire sensors directly to uh, reactions, and you keep less state of the robot. And it, it's more like a, uh, I guess, how a human or, or living brain works, where you're just responding to external stimuli as they happen, and you don't really. I guess you kind of keep a mental model of like where you are in the room and everything, and and what you're doing. But it, I don't know. It seems like a very interesting uh, way to think about it. And uh, the the goal of this architecture, uh, one of the goals is embodiment, where they argue for building an embodied agent, which is essentially a I interpret it as a like robot uh, skin or skeleton. Like so, you just make the robot with sensors and don't write any code. Um, and then you use that actual embodiment of your robot to to test your code you're writing versus a lot of uh, robotics before this, I guess, were based on simulations like, oh, uh-huh. like fake data. And, and, and this really uh, preaches like using real data. And it also uh, preaches like a, a bottom up approach of building like little tiny systems that work really well and then expanding upon it, which is opposite of what I think about when I think of web development where I like write a feature test first. <laughs> right. And then work uh, your way down. Yeah, exactly. So that's kind of cool. Is anybody finding success with that embodiment approach or is it just like super bleeding edge? No, ideas? no, this is a, uh, this is from the eighties. This, this, okay. Thing. Like, yeah, I, I knew absolutely nothing about robotics. Yeah. So you can see where I'm at on that. So yeah. zero. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was like, this is so old. How come I haven't heard of it? Uh, so yeah, I'm super excited to learn more about that. And I just bought a book on, on, um, behavior-based robotics so I, I tend to like do a little more research than i usually do before i dive into a project where i just right. kind of start writing code and then give up i'm actually get some academic basis for all this before i start writing code well as many neckbeards would tell you we're basically just reinventing ideas from the 70s and 80s constantly <laughs> exactly that's basically all we do these days so let's talk about like nested state machines which kind of made sense to me in the ideas that i had before i read this but very cool yeah, I'm excited to learn more about it. I also uh, this weekend bought tickets to Closure Conj, so I'm excited about that too. Conj, Conj, it's Conj. in Philadelphia this year. Okay, which is great for Pam and I and Javon who yeah today. Um, There's one coming up here in Texas too, in Austin. Conj. Really? Yeah, I'm. I think it's actually. Sorry, it's in the same. No, my just, bad. Elixir I'm, I'm mixed up here. It's uh, Elixir. My bad. Yeah, I, I, I would like to go to Elixir Conf, but that's Elixir Conf, yeah, uh, far away. Uh, Len and I were actually joking that we could just move to Austin for September, October, and go to the, all the best conferences. What were the other ones that were happening that month, Len? So, beginning of October is Elixir Conf, and then the end of the month is also Keep Ruby Weird. Uh, but there was another conference in between those, I think, too. That was really good. Oh well. Yeah. So, have y'all had Karen Meyer on your show? Uh, no, but I've listened to a lot of her podcasts. She's great. Yeah, we just had her re- on recently on the Changelog, uh, author of Living Closure, and she's very mm-hmm. much into uh, AI and robotics. Uh, in fact, she wrote her own little play language called Babar, um, which is experimenting with speech actions. Uh, Babar, like named after the elephant? Yes. That's right, that Babar. <laughs> so we all reminisced about that show. Um, but yeah, check uh, Karen's stuff out. She's a really smart, sweet lady, and... Uh, has really interesting ideas. I think she's actually talking at, mm, I was going to say Closure Conch, but I think it's Strange Loop this fall, yeah. which I think is in St. Louis. And she's talking about... It's um, always in St. Louis. It is. And chem- chemical computing. So it's not like actually using chemicals to compute, but it's like borrowing ideas from chemistry to have different ways of solving algorithmic problems. And seems pretty seems pretty cool. She was telling us about it on the show, and I'm sitting here like, okay, you're 
you're way over my head right now, but I'm going to act like I'm, I'm going to play it cool. <laughs> she was also, cool. she was also recently on uh, Beats, Rye, and Types, uh, episode 25. That was a really great episode to listen to as well. I don't know that show. What's that? Oh, that's uh, MRB and, I'm sorry, I don't know. Aaron Quinn. Aaron Quinn. Uh, they talk about uh, code and also a lot of food and music. Cool. Uh, and I guess rye is technically alcohol too. I don't know, um, but sure is. Yeah, uh, they uh, yeah. So Karen Meyer was on. They talked a lot about uh, owning chickens and uh, getting a mini milker cow and uh, wow. food in general. It's really it's really great podcast. I've, I've really been enjoying it recently. Nice. I'll have to check that one out. Aaron Quinn, I think. Didn't he have that JavaScript-based router back in the day that was like kind Sammy of pre JS. So Sammy. I used to work with them. I loved Sammy. With MRB I used and it, Aaron. Uh, so back way back in like 2010, I helped uh, as a contract job. I helped the now unfortunately defunct GrooveShark rewrite their um, flagship Flash application in HTML-based technologies. And this was pre-Backbone, pre-everything as far as uh, JavaScript and MVCs go or any sort of frameworks. And so we were kind of, we didn't want to invent all those wheels. We were pulling together different tools. And Sammy JS, we used it as a router back then. And so I got to know Aaron at that time. Real nice guy, very helpful. That name came from the Sinatra, Sinatra theme, right? Right. Sammy Davis Jr. Yeah. That's why I was attracted to it. I was like, oh, this guy has class. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to check this out. Just judging the book by its cover. So when we were on your show, you asked us about our favorite episodes of our show. Uh, I was wondering if you guys have a moment that stands out from uh, from your shows. A moment that stands out from our shows. No, I can't think of anything in particular. I mean, I think that uh, I think one of my favorite shows to do, uh, and it's not. I don't know how to describe it. I guess, but I, I really enjoyed uh, episode one forty five with David Hunter hands, and I think that was just like a. Uh, kind of like a mile marker for our podcast and just a moment in time where we discuss 10 years of rails. And I think what, what I like most about that show, what I think is special is I think, I think David kind of dropped what might be like a assumed guard. Uh Um, and was just, I just felt like, you know, hacker to hacker with him. I didn't feel like David was some sort of superstar on our show. I just, it just sort of felt like real calm, calm, collect. And I think we got a lot of really interesting answers from him about, open source, commercializing open source, uh, building a community, marketing a brand new framework or project and how that, you know, gets buffered into their existing business, which is Basecamp and a lot of really interesting um, advice from him. I think that was one of my favorite shows. If I had to pick one recently, I'm just looking at our list here. I guess it isn't that recent, but just somebody who really left a mark, I think, and I hadn't really even heard of um, was Daniel Stenberg. Who yeah, we we true. bring it up we bring it up constantly since then. Who's been working on curl relentlessly? You know the the little command line tool that you know fetches web content and does so much more. Of course, is a a library as well. He's been working on it relentlessly for 17 years, um, which is just astounding. And just hearing from him, you know, the life of that project, things that changed over time, the things that haven't changed ups and downs and then the moments where you know he realized that curl was packaged with uh, OS 10 like by default those kind of things were really interesting which I think that's episode 153 yeah 17 years of curl with Daniel Stenberg really nice guy tons of insight has been doing the open source game um, for longer than 17 years but has been doing a single small almost globally used project 
uh, for that long what really left an impact on me. What I like most about that show, in addition to those things, which is really awesome, is the way we found doing that show. Like we tell everybody to subscribe to Change Law Weekly and Change Law Nightly. And that show came about from our own influence, from our own content. So when we produced Change Law Weekly, we found uh, his post, his blog post, which was uh, Curl 17 years old today. And it got 62 comments. It was published on March 20th of this year. And when we found that, we're like, holy crap, we got to have this kind of talk on the show. So we were influenced by our own content to, to have Daniel on the show. Yeah, I never knew how you found him, actually, because I think you scheduled that show. Yeah. And I was just like, Curl, I use Curl daily. I'm like, somebody, it's one, of, I think I said this on the show, but it's one of those technologies for me. I mean, I came into the game, I graduated high school in 2001. I didn't have a computer until I was 18. So that was about the same time period. Yeah. Um, so my entire computer experience was like, has been 15 years or so. And he's been doing curl for 17 years. So when you're <laughs> learning like Linux and Unix and there's like these system tools, like the core utils, you know, you don't think about the people actually wrote those. You just feel like they've always existed. And curl for me was one of these libraries that or tools that I just assumed <laughs> naively that it just always existed. Um, and so talking to the person behind it was kind of surreal. So I had never known how you line that up. I just showed up and talked to him. Yeah, approximately 13,000 hours and plus that a lot since then. We did that show, uh, let's see, that was episode 153. So that was May 1st. So not long after his post did we cover this show. So that was uh, 13,000 hours to, to maintaining Curl. That's a, an insane achievement. And I feel like that's sort of part of our goal with the change law too. Like we want to celebrate the wins with the community. We want to we celebrate the small things. We want to celebrate the big things. And we've always had this podcast. So we we're continually trying to find more ways to branch out to celebrate what's awesome about open source. Everything from the people to the actual stuff that gets shipped to the companies get they get built on its backbone, aka Uber and companies like that. Um, and how they should give back and how open source should be sustainable. So we really care deeply about that. So that's I hijacked your your thing, but 153 is a good show. <laughs> <laughs> you know, curls one of those things you just take for granted, like it's always been there, and you yeah never even think about what goes into maintaining it. So that was a really cool episode. Once you put transistors together, curl just appears. <laughs> it was discovered like this. You heard it here first. That's that's exactly how it happened. So, what process do you guys normally go through for finding guests? Do you like look at a project you're interested in and reach out to them? Do you have people reaching out to you? Like, how how does that come about? Mm. I guess I'll hop on this one. So there's a lot of different angles that we take. Um, more recently, I guess in the last year or so, um, we have an open inbox on GitHub called ping, the github.com slash the changelog slash ping, which is mo just there to use GitHub issues as a way that anybody can suggest uh, a project that they think we should cover, whether in our newsletter or on the website or Twitter, as well as podcast guest ideas. And the nice thing about that is, first of all, it's open and it kind of supports the open source idea. Also, you know, the people who are being suggested can kind of just get at mentioned in the uh, in the thread there, and they can hop into the conversation and you know tell us if they're interested or not. So we've actually gotten a lot of guests or not guests, listeners suggesting guests. Um, that's probably because we've been around so long and people know about us. That uh, younger startup podcasts don't usually have that kind of a uh, advantage, but um, a lot of the stuff is just like things that we're interested in and you find the people behind it and you like, you start to research them a little bit and you think, oh, this person seems very interesting. And you just reach out and, and ask them. Um, Adam, you've been doing it longer than I have. Any other ways that you go about sourcing guests or inviting guests, that kind of thing? I think uh, 
it's it's always been a natural discovery process for me. Um, I've never really had to be like, okay, great, we got a show coming up this Friday. Who should we have on the show? Let's just any mini money mo kind of like figure somebody out. It's always been. I, I think what's kind of neat is like since we've been doing the emails and stuff like that, I feel like it like the things just come naturally because we're already trying to look at and examine and and keep an eye on you know in a curation standpoint what's happening out there so that we can share that through change all weekly and we're always reading our own change all nightly which is um kind of a uh, a re-blossom or a redo or a fork of github archive which was started by Ilya gregoric built on top of google bigquery um i think just kind of just keeping a monitor of things i think that's probably my biggest thing i don't really like think we should go and find somebody to have on the show today and just blind look it's it's sort of like what's in our radar what's something we've covered recently that's yeah. like we should dig deeper into or the ping repo and uh, getting feedback from you know either members who support us or just random new people that listen to the show and kind of give us some praise which which was really nice maybe we can talk about that recent um issue called the the show is amazing that was a was a fun one what do you think jared yeah, we recently yeah we recently had a new member um, sign up, which um, in addition I think I mentioned it earlier, but in addition to uh, sponsor supported, we're also member supported. So uh, people who love our content and um, want to support us to keep it going can pay a small sum and um, support us. And so we had a new member who signed up recently and also left left us a really kind of mind bending uh, um, praise. <laughs> it's really the the word I'd have to use uh, in ping uh, about how much he's enjoyed the show. And, and he went so far as to go like episode by episode commentary, which was just like amazing um, yeah. as he's dug through our back catalog and said what he likes and doesn't like about certain episodes. And so um, as I said earlier, this is, is a side thing for me. Um, Adam has been fortunate enough and we've, we built it well enough now that he can be full-time supported and, and that's amazing. Um, but even if you're making your living, um, that doesn't necessarily sustain your thought life and your enjoyment of a thing. But when you hear feedback like that, yeah, uh, it certainly helps. Yeah, it really is like, wow, that's <laughs> you, you, you don't realize that you're, you're either helping people or reaching people like you are, uh, until, until moments like that. So maybe as a takeaway and something I've tried to do a lot more lately is like, if you're using something that you love and this, this applies to open source or podcasting or any content. If you if you get a lot of value from something, um, not don't even necessarily support that thing like financially. Although, sure, do that, but just tell them, tell the person. We've never been more connected than we are now. You've never been able to reach people that you know you look up to, um, but now you can just send that email. You can just open that issue, or you can even just send that at message on Twitter, and uh, it really affects people. It's it's really appreciated. So. That was awesome, and uh, more like that to go around. If you love Turing and Complete, you know, let these guys know that they're doing a great job and that you appreciate their content. It's hard work. Yeah, I think it's one of those things. There's like a study in psychology where if there's a ton of people around, like, and somebody needs like assistance, you'll just people will be less likely to give assistance because they assume somebody else does it. The internet's like that too. There's an open source project, and of course, like you know, so many people use it, you just assume they're constantly hearing things, but in reality, you know, they're not. Yeah, I think I've heard a similar thing with conversations where if you have two people talking, um, there's like social pressure to keep the conversation going. Mm -hmm. But when you add a third person, conversations tend to die more often because all three parties 
are assuming that the other two are going to keep the conversation going. And so there's less social pressure. And so you just assume someone else is going to do it. And so nobody does it. Right. I could be completely unsubstantiated, but I definitely heard that. And it seems to seems to be seems to be true. That's a good point. So I think we're about ready for picks. Do you have uh, any other things you guys want to mention before we move on? I don't think so. Maybe just, uh, you know, if you see this at an upcoming conference, uh, say hello. Uh, if you have an idea for a show, head to Ping. And if you're not subscribed to Change Law Weekly, shame, shame. Shame, shame, don't know your name. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I actually found the uh, Change Log Nightly uh, last week. Oh, yeah? Okay. And that's been uh, pretty cool because I used to always, whenever I went to GitHub, you know, people have these, uh, at least I do, I have these like board uh, habits when I just want to do something other than what I'm doing. I switch my browser and do some things. And usually it is, it used to be go to GitHub and then go to the Explore tab and mm-hmm. see what's trending. And uh, <clears throat> GitHub has made a bunch of changes where that's not really as easy or as, as few clicks as it used to be for me. Mm-hmm. So I don't usually do it anymore. Um, but now I get the change log nightly every night. And I uh, usually next morning I see a list of like all the trending repos. So it's been really cool for me. Yeah, I'm glad you appreciate that. That's something that I kind of spearheaded bringing back to life because I was in the same situation where I loved it. It used to be called GitHub Archive. Um, which, as Adam said, Ilya Gregoric set up using GitHub Archive.org and BigQuery and, and these other things. Um, and I'm the kind of person who's like always looking for cool new stuff. And I would love that email because it like brought cool new stuff to me every day. And I'm also I also subscribe to the GitHub Explore email, the daily one. The problem with it is just not very deep. It has the top five repos yesterday, um, which are usually good. But there's a lot more good stuff out there. So, yeah, we brought that back to life. I think it was like February or March. And uh, I'm always happy to hear other people appreciating it. But even if nobody subscribed to that email list, I would still do it. It'd just be for you. Just be for myself. Because I used to just go to my GitHub uh, activity feed and just look for what my friends were starring and stuff. But now there's so much going on out there. Like the activity feed's so crazy. You can't really use it for much that's useful. I don't know if you guys have found that. but it kind of made the GitHub activity feed not very valuable for sourcing new stuff. But it's nice when you don't have to go look. It just shows up in your inbox each night. Yeah, it's often a uh, outlier for me, too. Like, I, I think that I'm often looking at it and, like, just paying attention to what's new. Like, the the one that was pretty popular in Weekly this week and also in Nightly quite quite a bit recently was Black Screen, that terminal, terminal emulator. Yeah, dude, that's my pick. Uh, no, that's your pick. Oh, I'll take it. That's going to be <laughs> my tip. My pick. No, you can go ahead and talk about it here. No, go ahead. Since it's pick time. Are we going into picks? Yeah, let's just, uh, it's probably the best segue we could have. So let's <laughs> just go into picks. All right. Did y'all see that black screen repo popping up recently? I did. It looks really cool. I haven't tried it yet, though. Yeah, me neither. So I don't know the the ground rules for picks. We'd have to be like actively uh, into a thing or just it excites us. Um, but in this case, it's just something that I think is pretty cool. And it's kind of a upcoming trend. So first let me just say what it is. Um, it's a new terminal emulator um, that's based on web technologies. It's actually built on top of Electron, which you may or may not know as kind of the underpinnings of GitHub's Atom. Uh, shell or Atom Editor. Electron's formerly known as Atom Shell. So there's been a lot of companies making their own uh, open source editors kind of specific to their environments using this Electron uh, framework. I think the one that pops off my head is uh, Mesosphere with Apache Mesos has their own uh, Mesos specific 
editor with all sorts of goodies built in because GitHub was nice enough, and I'm sure it wasn't just GitHub, but uh, all the people in that environment were nice enough to open source uh, Electron and kind of extract it out of the Atom editor as its own distinct thing. So anyways, back to black screen. It's kind of trying to be a uh, terminal shell for the 21st century, as he says, um, based on Electron and web technologies. And currently, I think it only runs on OS X, and I think it has some performance problems. As far as it's, it's probably not going to be able. I don't think it can run Vim uh, like your uh, built-in terminal can. But yeah, it looks really nice. I think it has a bright future, and it has definitely uh, piqued the interest of many folks. Has sent it over five thousand stars as of today, and I think he launched it last week sometime. Built on Electron, TypeScript, Node, React, and SAS. So yeah, uh, that's my pick. I kind of feel bad about my pick now because Jared's was not uh, selfish and mine is selfish, and I kind of feel bad. But I was going to say beyondcode.tv slash KRW simply because I think it's interesting. It's already in the show notes, but um, it's the start of something cool that we're doing, and I want everyone to know about it. Hannah had to run, so I'll do her pick first. Uh, It is a slide deck uh, called Choose Boring Technology. I don't know anything about it, so I'm not going to talk about it anymore, but check it out. And uh, my pick is uh, Wonderlist. Um, I, me and my wife use, uh, used to use iOS reminders, and that was always kind of uh, jank, I guess is the best way I could put it, <laughs> where there's like a lot of bugs recently, and sometimes you don't really trust if it's synced or not, and it's missing a lot of features that I didn't even know I wanted. <clears throat> so I've been trying Wonderlist out for the past uh, two weeks, and it's been really great. So if, uh, especially if you share a list with, with your partner or somebody, um, definitely check out Wonderlist. It's a great task manager. I could plus one that for sure. My wife and I do that as well. We have a, I have a baby do list. Oh, nice. Which is uh, I'm I'm baby obviously, and uh, it's my do list. It's kind of like a honey do list, but it's different. <laughs> yeah, it's cool. You can assign things. You can have um, subtasks on on tasks, uh, and you can have things due for different dates. So if you have things due today, there's a today view and a week view, which shows you all the things you have upcoming. Yeah, very interesting. We've uh, got our grocery list in there as well, and it's like, hey, I'm going to the grocery store. You want something? And it's like we know where to put stuff. Exactly. It's not like, hey, put it. What do you want to make the list? Can you share it with me? Did you share that email with me? So we actually have a grocery list, and then because of the subtasks, we organized each uh, item as a subtask on like an aisle, kind of. Wow. So we have we like get a, deep. We have like a, a veggies task and a fruit task and a meats task, and in each of those are subtasks for like uh, veggies has spinach, zucchini, tomato. So it's cool because then when you're at the grocery store, you just look at one set of things for the place you're currently standing instead of the entire list at once. Um, Would you say that you're pro agile or pro waterfall then? Uh, I don't know. I'm having trouble relating it quickly in my mind, thinking off the cuff. Uh, well, you're so I mean, I'm uh, into agile. planning, so I figured you like planning. And oh. I figured that Agile would be a, a shoe-in for you. So I like planning meetings? Well, if I plan enough, it's just waterfall, right? That's right. No, we were very agile this weekend because she was adding things as I was at the grocery store. See? It's better than adding things as you're driving home from the grocery store. <laughs> exactly. Which could also happen. So my pick, I was uh, not feeling that well this weekend, and it could not have been more perfectly timed because Super Mario Maker came out. And oh, boy. Awesome. 
<laughs> it is way more satisfying than I expected making uh, levels for Super Mario and being able to switch like which iteration of Super Mario to use. And uh, it's also very interesting the way they uh, kind of unlock parts of the UI uh, incrementally because the game basically gives you everything you could possibly need to make any level in Super Mario. And as such, it's a very convoluted uh, user interface. But they do a really good job at kind of consolidating elements. Things work like you'd expect them to. Like if you want to make something bigger, you just drag a mushroom onto it. And uh, they unlock it incrementally, so you can't do everything at once. You have to like build a level with the tools given to you before you can uh, unlock more more creatures and more, more tools. Uh, so if you were ever on the fence about getting a Wii U, uh, I'd suggest getting Super Mario Maker. Oh my, come on, you just did it to me. <laughs> now I have to buy one. I've been sitting here on the fence and dang. I'm are clicking any, the button right now. It's, it's are there mine. any other, in addition to that game, is there any, like, is there one more killer game? Because if I can have two, I might just. I heard one. Splatoon is really good. Do you have Splatoon, Len? That's like the one game I haven't bought yet. So Splatoon is like a, a first person shooter, but you're you're shooting paint everywhere and you use the motion controller to like spray paint, like colored paint. Okay. And I think the goal is to like paint the entire level. Uh, but I've heard a lot of people, both kids and people in their 40s, say it's a ton of fun. When does the Zelda game come out for Wii U? Is that going to happen? I think it's next year. <laughs> but I think okay. it's also been next year for a while. Yeah, still a ways off then. That's usually the one that gets me to buy whatever thing I have not yet bought from Nintendo is that game, whatever, whichever version. But yeah. That sounds pretty cool. That's an awesome pick, man. That just blew my mind. That's exactly what a pick should be right there. <laughs> my problem with video game picks is I don't have time to play video games anymore, and then I get really kind of depressed. And I'm like, oh, I wish I could be playing that right now. What you have to do is uh, you just have to make a little bit of time for it, you know? Yeah, I know. A couple hours, don't get addicted. That's the problem. Yeah. I'll be up till 4 a.m., and then I'll, then I'll feel it the next day. Anybody ever get into Donkey Kong on the Wii? No. Oh, man. That's another one. The old school Wii, but it's really good. Addictive. Uh, cool. So thanks, guys, for coming on. Where can people find out more about you? <laughs> well, I think we've been giving them lots of places all throughout the show, uh, for the changelog at least. But um, me personally, you can find me on Twitter at Jared Santo. It's kind of hard to spell, so check the show notes, I guess. Um, also, you can just email me, jared.santo at gmail.com if you want to chat. Happy to. I'll link those up too. And uh, I, no, I'm Adam Stakovac. I'm on Twitter as well. Adam Stack, S-T-A-C. That's a GitHub too or changelog.com. Um, yeah, you can email me at adam at changelog.com if you have any questions or want to say anything whatsoever. Uh, open, you know, it's open door. And uh, thank you also to, to, to you guys to having us on the show. It's been Awesome, you know, kind of crossing over from our show back to your show. I think what you guys are doing here is awesome and people need to support you. So what Jared said earlier about, you know, giving you guys feedback and whatnot, we hope that everybody that listens to this show, you know, if they like it or they don't like it, they help you make it a show that everybody wants to listen to by giving awesome feedback. Yeah, I just want to echo that. Thanks so much for having us on. It was lots of fun. Yes. Okay, thanks for coming. On. Awesome. Thank you, guys. So show notes are at turing.cool slash 64. Follow us on Twitter at turingcool, and I'll talk to you guys next week. Alrighty. Bye, guys. See ya. Bye. Bye.